Hello and welcome to the JNMP podcast. My name is Elizabeth Hyten and I'm joined today by Professor Amal Al-Chalabi from King's College London. And we're going to be talking about his recent paper, a Clinical Tool for Predicting Survival in ALS. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today, Amal. Thank you for inviting me. So my first question is what, we, what do we already know about um, sort of predictive factors of survival in ALS? Uh, the answer is um, quite a lot, but generally we can only predict in groups of people. So we know that, for example, being younger at diagnosis or at onset predicts a better survival overall, but it only has a small effect. Um, and we know that in general, people who start off with swallowing difficulty rather than difficulty with their limbs tend to do worse, but not always, than people with limb onset. So there are general trends, but then they're certainly not hard and fast rules and they don't apply in individuals. The best predictor of outcome generally is the rate of progression so far. So people who have a rapid disease progression tend to continue to have a rapid disease progression. And people who have a slow progression at the beginning tend to continue to have a slow progression. I mean, I suppose that makes it very difficult for patients and their families as well. One of the challenges um, with diagnosis is, is not knowing an exact sort of um, prognosis, and that must be quite distressing for families and patients. It's extremely distressing. And paradoxically, people who have more certainty about their diagnosis early on are people who have the more rapid disease progression. So sometimes the, the greater uncertainty and the greater anxiety that comes with it is actually happening in people who will in the end have a much slower disease progression. So your goal was to generate a sort of clinically useful model of predicting survival for these patients. I suppose I wondered how this differed from other predictive models that may exist already in the literature and whether you could just walk us through your model a little bit about what your JNMP paper is about. Sure. So there's, there's uh, two main ways it differs. The first is that all the previous models have either just been mathematical models with no particular clinical application, but they've simply highlighted the factors, the types of factors I've told you already so that we could understand what, what affects survival, um, or they've given a prediction based in percentages. But people find it very difficult to understand percentages. So for example, if I, if I say you've got an 80% chance of surviving five years, that's fairly, you can understand you've got a good chance of surviving five years. But if I now say you've got a 20% chance of surviving five years, that's much more difficult to really understand. What does that mean about next year or two years time? And, and it's that, that, so our model aims to get away from percentages and give a slightly more um, understandable answer if that was possible. We didn't know if it was possible or not. The way we did that was by um, looking at how uh, what survival curves looked like. So a survival curve is when you take large groups of people whose survival you, you know um, and then examine the, the duration of survival in those people. And we looked at survival curves in people who already were on non-invasive ventilation. The reason being that we know most people who have ALS die from respiratory failure. So we knew that if someone was on a non-invasive ventilation, that that would tell us something about survival at that point. And we noticed that that fitted a particular mathematical distribution in a very constant way. It didn't seem, all these other factors I've told you about didn't seem to really matter very much. It was a, it was a purely um, mathematical process. So we then modeled time until respiratory failure and found a slightly different mathematical process governed that. And then we were able to fit all of those factors together to come out with some kind of predictive tool. And, and how can this um, sort of predictive tool be helpful for patients and clinicians? So in two ways it can be helpful. The first is that we've generated graphs and those graphs 
actually help make very visual the different factors that affect survival because you can see that for example younger people generally have a slower progression and people who have a longer diagnostic delay so a, a slower progression so far tend to do better and people on really old do better you can see all of that very easily just by looking at the graphs um, because you can see the survival at any point with any of those factors that's the main way it benefits and, and the other way is that an individual can actually look at their prediction and see in months what their prediction would be and get a kind of rough idea. But again, it's, it's, in individuals, it's very difficult to, to predict. So there's very wide error margins around it, but at least you get a feel for, well, actually, if I take really result, it'll make that kind of difference. And if I don't take really result, it'll make that kind of difference. So it's useful from that point of view. So I suppose it's useful then in terms of making choices about one's care, um, if you can see that in a sort of slightly less mathematical way and just in a, in a way that people can actually interpret and understand. That's true. And, and one of the things that comes out quite clearly, for example, from the graphs, is that Rilizol probably has a bigger effect in younger people than older people. And also, the, quickly, the earlier you take Rilizol, the implication would be the earlier you take Rilizol, the better. And um, I suppose in a practical sense, I mean, you mentioned that obviously it sort of demonstrates a graph, but in in the clinic, how might one be able to use this particular tool? Is it something that the clinician and the patient can sort of sit down and look at together? Is it sort of easily generated in that sense? Yes. So the the graphs can be printed off and you can easily look up, for example, let's say you're a 60-year-old who had um, swallowing difficulty as the first symptom and you aren't taking Rilizol, you can look on and it's taken you a year to see the neurologist and be diagnosed with ALS. Then you can look up 60, go to the 12-month diagnostic delay and look across in that particular graph for bulbar onset no Rilizol and see what your median survival prediction would be. But the median survival just means it's just an estimate of what 50% of people, what what 50%, what the peak um, survival is, the, the most likely survival. But actually, you've got a 50-50 chance of surviving between half that and twice that. So for example, if you predicted a 12-month survival, then you've got a 50-50 chance of surviving between six months and 24 months. So it's useful in the sense that it shows the uncertainty around predicting for an individual because even that is just the 50% chance of survival. But it does give an indication because if you take Rilizol, that that estimate might change from um, six months to 24 months into um, 12 months to 48 months, for example. And, and so you can see the effect of really result when. My next question would be, I mean, obviously this was a, a research paper published in the JNMP um, looking at sort of establishing this clinical tool and presumably requires just further validation as well from, from further research. Has it been something that's also um, currently in clinics or is it um, still very much at the sort of research stage? Well, as you say, it doesn't need validation. Um, It's consistent with previous findings. So in that sense, it's internally valid, um, but it does need replication so that the actual estimates um, could be, because what we don't know is, for example, these are the estimates from our population in the southeast of England. What we don't know is what would be the equivalent estimates if you're in Scotland or if you're in Holland or or the USA. Um, We would expect they'd probably be similar but we don't know the exact numbers so it does need validation from that point of view Um, and also this isn't a randomized clinical trial so people who come to our clinics or who take really will be a selected group which is different from a clinical trial 
when you have people who are randomly allocated these different treatments. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, thank you so much for walking me through your paper, um, which has just recently been published in the JNMP. Um, and thank you very much for taking the time all the way from London to speak to me about your work. Thank you very much. Um, so that was Professor Amar Al Chalabi from King's College London. Um, and this was the JNMP podcast. And thank you very much for listening.